Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Folks, welcome back to the talk of the terrace, or talk from the terrace. We've been having a couple this week when we thought maybe we'd be enjoying the sunshine and chilling out with the season over and the players off on the holidays. But we're not, because we have a lot of problems going on around the club we all love, Celtic. Uh, and I'm joined again on the talk of the terrace by Jeanette Finley who is the treasurer of the Celtic Trust and former founding member, also joined by David Lowe, chair of the Trust, and both have been guests on the Celtic Soul podcast, and we've always had a good reaction to when we've had them on. But I feel they're a little angrier tonight. <laughs> um, Jeanette Force, can you just recap for the listeners and the viewers of just where we, where we were, where we were getting to, and where we got to? Okay, so last year at the end of the previous season, so in the June, we, uh, along with the other Celtic sports organisations, had a, had a meeting with Celtic to discuss the fact that you know people hadn't got the full value of their season book because obviously they weren't able to attend games towards the end of the previous season. Um, that was all sorted out in terms of a refund, although the way that the club then actually operated the refund was obviously pretty poor on their part. Uh, but the other conversation was that they would commit to, uh, you know, they would assure us and make a pledge that they would um, maintain the value of the season book 
whatever way it turned out. So at that point, of course, nobody knows what way it's going to turn out in terms of how many games you're actually going to be able to attend. As it turns out, none. Uh, but we didn't know that then. So it was just a discussion about, like, we don't know what's going to happen, so we can't really say anything specific. But yes, we will, um, we will, we will, we will consult with the Celtic sports organisations, and then we will, um, we will, you know, make some offer comes to this, uh, you know, comes through the season, it becomes clear, you know, remember Christmas, you know, it's clear that, you know, um, we're only going to get to see many games, if any. Uh, at that point, we, you know, informally suggest to them that one of the ways that they could get round, uh, you know, meeting that, the terms of that pledge, while still taking into account the fact that, you know, these were going to be very challenging financial times for, for everybody, including Celtic. And, you know, Celtic fans don't want to see the club doing the best they can, don't want to take money out of the club. Uh, one of the ways to do that would be to offer ordinary shares in lieu of a kind of a, a payback. We then put that formally to them in February. Later on, all of the organisations did eventually manage to get a meeting with Celtic. It took a very long time to get them to, to do that, even though they had publicly committed to doing that the previous year. Um, they didn't consult with us. They said their idea of consultation was that they would just listen to what we had to say when we said, right, let's discuss the trust one. They said, no, we don't want to talk about that one. So there was no other proposals. And there could be no other proposals which didn't actually cost money. Uh, and then they... Send us an email, I think, if I remember rightly, David, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday night and said, oh, we're, n we're not going ahead with this proposal. The grounds on which they weren't going to go ahead with the proposal were, in fact, erroneous because they said, oh, it was to do with the amount of money that it would cost, but there was no figure put in the amount. Although discussions had been had in various places and social media about what that might look like, there was nothing in the formal pr proposal which suggested a number. So the grounds on which they said it was all founded on, oh, if it was this amount, that's what that would cost, and then there would have to be this legal process, and then that would cost that. So it was just nonsense because that was never discussed. And they utterly refused. They, like, specifically in writing said... We don't want to talk to you about this. We see no point in talking to you about this. So they didn't even talk about what the, you know, what the proposal would look like, fleshed out, anything like that. And then the next day they put out their, uh, their I think the next day they put out their um, season book renewal notice. Initially in the tabloid press before it even goes into the website and then goes out in emails, and they offer people a fifty pound voucher for the store. Which, you know, we can talk about what people think about that, but I didn't think much yet, I have to say. And um, and then I think, what was it, two days after that, we discover that, you know, the how deal has fell through and, and it's just a complete shambles. And the utter disrespect that the Celtic Trust, our members, and the wider support were treated by Celtic. It's just beyond belief. Worse than anything I think I've actually ever experienced. Complete lack of respect to even engage with us, talk to us, do anything. And to put out this pathetic offer, we are an end date of sometime in September uh, to use this voucher and expiry date. It was just, yep, no good. We then have a Celtic Trust meeting, very quickly a trustees meeting, 
because we can call we can only call a meeting we have to give 21 days notice of meetings it's in our constitution that's how we work so we had a trustees meeting uh, we kind of in recognition of the fact that this really was a step change and relationships between fans and the board as we saw it uh, we took the decision that really we couldn't see how we could walk back into another meeting with Celtic and say oh yeah what we're going to do next and how are things and we just didn't think we could and so that's the kind of position we've took at the moment and there'll be a members meeting in, um, later on this month and we'll see where we go for that. Did I miss anything David? Well, that's the sort of factual background as to what happened. Uh, I'll just add a little bit. On the 17th of February, Peter Lawwell undertook to take this proposal to the board. A week later, we put it in a formal professional context. It was an outline form, deliberately so, no figures mentioned. And... We had to wait until you know a few days before the season ticket launched before we got a communication of, of any substance from Celtic. And that uh, the reasons they give, Jeanette alluded to it there. I'll go further and say Celtic characterised the trust proposal in an inaccurate and dishonest manner uh, to serve their own purposes. They made no attempt to uh, discuss proposal with the trust, no attempt to uh, explain their logic uh, and it appears that they just didn't like it or a small number of large shareholders didn't like it because it uh, could have had the effect of diluting their position in a trivial manner. So they just didn't like it, in my opinion, and they don't like proposals that come from anybody else other than themselves. That's really the added bit I would put to the situation. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I was very surprised when I seen the Trust announced that they, they would no longer be in, in contact with the board because I'm always a believer in even if there's a back channel that, you know, talk is the, the only way we get anywhere is by talking. But I feel from the vibes I've been getting since then from talking to different people that the trust is gone. Um, I don't mean the Celtic trust. I mean the trust with, from a vast majority of fans on the board. I know people are going up and renewing their tickets, and that's it. That's that's everybody's choice, and you know, on on the Celtic way and putting a picture up and whatever. But you know, do you see the actions of the board? And as David said, it it would dilute the the shareholders, but it must have be diluting them minutely, you know, mega, minor, minutely, because I kind of see it as a form of aggression from the from the board towards not only the trust and the trust members, but towards the, you know, the, the fan on the street, basically, that like they, they don't really see us having a place within shareholders' meetings and attending AGMs. That's just the way I see it, you know, and I think as we push forward as well, I think it's going to get, before it gets better, it's going to get worse because, you know, AGMs are, you know, recorded, recorded and staged messages from the chairman and the, and the CEO and there's, 
you know, the, the leaky roof and the Nod stand gets discussed when those other issues don't get discussed. And I just feel it's, it's a form of aggression towards us. And I just want to see what, and I'm trying to be balanced here as well, but there's no one yeah, from no, the, no, no, there's no one from the club, but there's no one from the club. Uh, like I can't get a, re- a response to a name about who's in charge of the football department now. And so I don't think I'm going to get a response if I ask someone to come on to talk on a, on a fan's podcast. Yeah. Well, nothing we've nothing we've said has been disputed by the club. So people, you know, there was some talk on, oh, well, when we said they've knocked us back and this is what they're doing, people said, oh, well, you know. And, and we didn't release the full text of an email because it's not our practice to do that. Although at this point, in my opinion, all bets are off. I don't think we owe the board anything at this point, but we don't normally do that. But we really because we didn't want to misrepresent what they, you know, what they'd actually said. So we 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 picked it a bit that kind of covered a certain point. Uh, so we didn't tell them the the, the full uh, part of that. But sorry, I forget the point. I was doing it maybe anyway. My point being, this has a significant shift. I think uh, now it's no new in the sense that the trust has almost always been treated like this at certain points in time. So for instance, you know, it's almost a, a, st- a running joke that every time we put something to the board at the AGM, they combine forces to, 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 to defeat it and then quite often introduce that. It happened with Saturday AGMs, it happened with dividend reinvestment scheme, it happened most notoriously, but living wage as well really, although they haven't become living wage employers, they do pay the living wage, all of that defeated us at the AGM and then just did that. Which is fine with us if they're going to do that. That's, that's okay. But that's what they do. And it's almost like saying, we are not going to do what you ask us to do because we just want to show you that we're in charge here and you're nothing. That's that's sort of what it feels. So in that sense, it is an aggression. But the most notorious one, uh, which again, we haven't really, it's not been our practice to tell people about or to make a big thing about. We were, we were the people who first put forward the proposal uh, about having a standing section. We put that forward, that proposal, in a meeting with other sports organisations there. Peter Lawwell undertook to, I said, have a feasibility study. I said, fine, we'll have a, a feasibility study. When it came round at the time of the AGM, they hadn't really told us anything. So we'd actually put a proposal at the AGM that there should be a standing section. The... When it comes to the time when we have the conversation with them, right, we've got this proposal in and we got all the necessary signatures and it was on the, on the agenda. They said, they called us in and they said, we're actually doing this. So that's great. Why did you not tell us? Why we wouldn't have, you know, there's no need for us to go and get support for a resolution. You're actually doing it. They showed us, you know, they weren't kidding us on or anything. They showed us the, uh, you know, when they, the sort of models that they'd used and, the, the, you know, they basically gave us enough to understand that they definitely had proceeded with us and they'd put in for the application, you know, the planning permission, all of that sort of thing. So I said, great, that's absolutely great. I said, well, we'll go ahead with a resolution. Everybody will support it. That way, when you go to to the planners, you'll be able to say, you know, this has the backing of our shareholders and our supporters. And they said, no. They said, if you put it forward at the AGM, we won't proceed. And we said, you're kidding. And this is the company secretary, not the current company secretary, but the previous one. If you put this forward, we won't proceed. I said, what do you mean? Why, why, why would you do that? What's, what's the thinking behind that? 
Can I tell you? That's what happened. We just won't do it. So they're going to do something, but if the trust asks an AGM for it to be done, they won't do it. Now, what we did, because it was more important that the proposal went ahead than for the, the you know, that the, the, the thing actually happened, uh, than, than, you know, we got our name on it. So, so what we did was we just, at the AGM, we said, we're withdrawing this resolution because we understand the club have gave us enough to, to, to help us understand that, that they are actually proceeding with it anyway. And that's what we did. And then we sat down and never said another word. But that's what they did to us. So this is no new, that kind of an aggression. And it's no our practice to walk away because that's just that's just no really it's not our practice to refuse to speak. I'm like you, uh, you know, old fashioned trade genuineness. You haven't you know got to sort of anything out if you don't sit down and talk, all of that. But at this point, I think it was really important for the trust to kind of, you know, draw a line in the stand, make a make a stand, say, hang on a minute, you cannot have any type of fruitful negotiations with that kind of conduct. You know, with, with the way you've conducted yourself in all of the circumstances of the past season and the complete and utter shambles that you're overseeing to treat fans like that. You just have to make a stand. Now, does that mean we'll never talk to them? Does it mean there are no circumstances? No, of course it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that at this point, in their own words, we see no benefit of speaking to them. David, you've been, unlike... unlike yourself or Jeanette or the vast majority of fans, you've been in and around the Celtic boardroom. When you are looking in at this, um, first of all, the rejection, but then how the whole week played out and and since then, how, how do you look? Because we're getting very little information, as we did all season, out of the PR department. And yeah. I remember you saying, David, on a previous interview that, you know, Fergus would, would when you were there Fergus McCann would make the decision he thought it was right for, for Celtic and he would let the PR department deal with the fallout but there doesn't seem to be anyone dealing with the huge fallout that we've witnessed in the last week yeah well yeah the PR's are very bad just now but look it's Celtic the Celtic directors are entitled to reject the proposal if they have can articulate you know good reasons for doing so and the way that you do that is to uh, interface and speak to the people in this instance the trust that made the proposal and to explain your position in a professional and logical manner that is that is the proper way of uh, conducting yourself so it's and it's also relevant that uh, Celtic PLC is listed on the alternative investment market of the London Stock Exchange. Uh, now, I'm a director of a company on the alternative investment market of the London Stock Exchange, so I know how you're supposed to conduct yourself as a director, and I know you know what the procedures and protocols are, and I certainly know how to uh, be respectful to my shareholders who are co-owners in the company. So why did I say that? I say that because the Celtic board seem to forget there are 25,000 owners of this football club. And in the eyes of the law, we are all equal and we have equal rights and equal entitlements. And we, the Celtic Trust, are a shareholder 
orientated or, or focused organization, the, 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 the clues in the name. And that in itself distinguishes ourselves from a lot of the other Celtic organizations. You know, we have, we are, we have the, the shareholder responsibility. And this doesn't seem to be uh, appreciated by Celtic, and that's probably due to uh, arrogance and misunderstanding on, on, on their part. But I do agree with you that it's a bad thing not to have a back channel or a dialogue. But what you do when you don't have, when the board is not behaving in a professional manner is you have every right, every entitlement to speak to your fellow shareholders, of which Celtic is 20, 25,000. We have every entitlement to speak to Lindsay Train and tell them, do you know what these guys are up to, how they're conducting themselves? and explain it to them. We have every right and entitlement to explain our view to the club's nominated advisor in the city, Canaccord Genuity. These are all alternative uh, ways of dealing with a, a board that's not behaving in a professional manner. And these are all options that are available to the Celtic Trust. Uh, I know it's got very little to do with football and season tickets, but it's to do with ownership responsibility and and uh, you know we, we have to deal with it in the manner I think which I just mentioned so that's something for the trustees to uh, we are considering it and I'm no doubt it'll be brought up at the general meeting on the 21st of June uh, but there's a lot of shortcomings in the Celtic board of that that there is no doubt very few people read you know the, the verbiage that accompanies a set of accounts uh, but if you look at the governance report, you know, you've got a chairman's responsibility is, is defined. The chairman is there to lead. You know, where's the leadership from the Celtic chairman? <laughs> the answer is there, there isn't any. Uh, so there's a lot wrong with the Celtic board. Uh, it looks and sounds like a crony board. Uh, it doesn't look as if there's a lot of people questioning the executive in the manner that non-executive should do. And these are all issues that you know have to be taken into account by shareholders, of which we are one. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, but you know, yeah, well, there's a few. Well, not many people would look into you know the ins and outs of how a board operates because we've never been on boards. The general fan won't be, and that's exactly. what Martin yeah. David to get get you on here and, and, and tell us your opinion because you do sit on boards. And you have been in the Celtic or in and around the Celtic boardroom. So, in your. In oh, hey, hey, Andrew, the only director that's left from the mid 90s, I'm talking about the new regime, is, is, is Dermot Desmond. You know, everybody, everybody else is gone. Uh, so, it is a completely different board. Uh, it's in several chairmen, it's in several finance directors, it's in several uh, company secretaries. But uh, Dermot Desmond is the constant. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, he's got a 38, 40% shareholding. But it's actually a controlling shareholding because one of the, the things that the trust's done in the last 18 months is deal with the number, the huge crisis level, I'd call it, number of lost shareholders. That, sorry, shareholders that have become disconnected with their shares. Now, this is the responsibility of the board. The board, frankly, has neglected its share register and it's taken the trust to get involved and to say this is not right. 
and to have to say work with Celtic to remedy that with uh, you know a three or a four page list of facts you know and questions and answers that uh, help are supposed to help supporters get reunited with their shares but it's not being propo- uh, promoted in the manner it really should be by the club is a You'll have difficulty finding it on the website, Celtic website, uh, but that, that's a major failing. And of course, the appropriation of unclaimed dividends is, is another symptom of the same problem. Shareholders that have become disconnected with their shares and don't cash their dividends, the trusts had to uh, intervene there and put a stop to that. So th- these are things that the board should be doing. We shouldn't be having to do these things. And, uh, you know, we're not really getting uh, too much cooperation from Celtic and in, 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 in helping uh, restore the proper balance of ownership in Celtic by reuniting fans with their shares. So if 20% is lost and you've got 40%, that 40% becomes 50% a controlling interest. And here's another thing, because of covid Across the whole of Europe, it's ravaged balance sheets, football club balance sheets across the whole of Europe, and everybody's short of cash. Share issues are on the up. And I, I, frankly, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of a Celtic share issue to restore the balance sheet. We haven't had a share issue since 2005. And if you think what that means, if, if 20% are lost, or even 10%, the number is not important. It's, it's too large and they have a share issue. That means the 10 or the 20% don't get the opportunity to buy the extra shares because they're not connected with their, their original shareholding. And of course, that further consolidates a power within a very small group of shareholders, uh, which again is unhealthy. So irrespective of who the dominating shareholder is, it's, it's still unhealthy. So at this moment in time, these are bad, bad and dangerous uh, situations that we would rather not have. Uh, none of it's got to do with football, but it's to do with ownership, which is also important. Yeah, but it's not to do with football, but it's everything to do with our football club. Well, precisely. <laughs> and, and I use the word, so, I, I keep using the word are, because, you know, even even if you don't own a shell, you are emotionally, you emotionally own the club. But you, you you don't have a say. Do you know? Well, 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 listen, Andrew. There's four there's four categories of shareholders. The vast majority are, are emotional shareholders, fans. They don't expect to make any money out of their shares. They own the shares because they want to feel part of the club and part ownership of the club, and that's the overwhelming majority. But there's three other categories. There's a very small category of rich shareholder that holds Celtic shares because. AIM shares, alternative investment market shares, are exempt from uh, inheritance tax. So there's a tax break in owning large amounts of Celtic shares. That's a second category. A third category is uh, is the speculator, uh, like Linzel Train. Now, Linzel Train's uh, objectives in their investment memorandum is to make profits. Now, nobody buys shares in Celtic to make a profit normally because they've performed very poorly. Uh, they've lost 60% of their value since Fergus McCann left in 1999, and they don't pay a dividend. So if you're a professional investor and you buy uh, Celtic shares like Linzel Train, you're looking for something else uh, to make your profit. And that can only be one of two things. Guess what? A takeover, 
a premium to the share price and you double your money. So that's one reason. The other reason, of course, is jurisdictional change or uh, joining some sort of super league level two, which would have a transformational effect. Uh, that's really why a company like Linzel Train owns shares in Celtic. Uh, there's no other obvious reason other than that. And of course, the fourth, the fourth category is the, the trophy investor uh, who you know, I've worked with, uh, as they call them in the States, franchise owners. And basically, uh, the theory is there are more billionaires in the world than there are sports franchises. And the, and the, the theory is if you run it well, whilst you own it, you'll get a much bigger check when you sell it than you did when you buy it. And what you do is you get a chartered accountant or in the States, a CPA, to make sure you don't have to write any more checks whilst you own it. Well, that sounds a bit like what's going on at Celtic to me. <laughs> so anyway, that's a, maybe a tangent. But, you know, that's watch out for a potential share issue. That's what I say. And that would be to get more cash into the club. Yeah, which in itself is not bad. You know, if we're short of cash, we want the most successful and financially strong club as, as we can have uh, to buy good players and to compete on the park and to win trophies. But you've got to watch the, the a byproduct of that is, well, who's putting the money up and what does it mean for the ownership profile? And I've just explained what it could mean. If we had a share issue to put money into the club, that's great. But who buys the shares and who can't buy the shares because the shares are lost? So you've got to watch out for that. Jeanette, um, just back to the to the trustees meeting. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, the meeting took place. Um, and came, what came out of that was that I think the meeting is the 21st of June. As 21 days has to be given notification, which probably will, I would imagine, you know, we might know who the manager coming in is. I'd imagine it, we might know who the background team are. We may know who the director of football is, or we may not, because at that stage, the, the players will be back for pre season. Um, so it's, it's a kind of a it's a real unsure time, Jenna, and the meeting then. Like, does it come too late for people? Have, will they have changed their mind? I know that the, the rules of the of the trust is twenty one days, but there's a big cooling off period there. Well, I think I think people need to be clear. A meeting of the trust is not going to change what's happening at Celtic and who the manager's going to be and how quickly a manager's appointed. I mean, the trust isn't going to do that. It was never going to do that. Uh, you know, people need to understand that. That's not, I don't know why they would think that there was some urgency um, that would allow us to be, that would uh, um, you know, encourage us to break the constitution and not give people adequate notice. Because if you don't give people adequate notice for meetings, then people don't get to make arrangements to be there. So it's undemocratic. We don't do that. Uh, is 21 days too long? Maybe it should be 14 days. I don't know, but that's what's in our constitution. Institution. But but in the meantime, we have a trustee board. So if there was something that we needed to do between now and then, then we have the authority to do that. But what is it that they think we would do that would make a difference? Now, if people are saying to mount some kind of protest, to say something like that, then, you know, these are all things that can be considered. We, we are no really that kind of organisation, but we have shown in the past that where we think it's important to do that, we'll do it. Um, so, 
So it's not that it's not that nothing can happen between now and twenty one days. I mean, the trustee board has the authority to, to to do whatever needs to be done between now and then. The meeting was obviously because people would need feel that they would need to have a meeting because they'd want to talk about everything that's happened. But there is nothing in that sense. Nothing has changed. Our position is that unless you increase the ownership, the legal ownership of the club by fans and you increase that as much as you can, and I think fan ownership completely is, is the way forward, but unless you increase that, then you will always find yourself in the position where you know a, a board can do exactly what it wants and you can do nothing other than stand in the car park and cry about it. So, so in that sense, the project to the trust is exactly the project to the trust. Now, people might be looking for casting around for something that can be done quickly, that can change the situation, that can do... And I, I'm sorry to have to say, I don't think that exists. But what people need to do is be... They need to redouble their efforts to say, no matter how long it takes, we need to improve our ownership, increase our ownership of the club. And that can happen two ways. We combine the ownership of all of those 25,000 desperate small shareholders that are out there, that's the first thing. That doesn't involve money. That just means somehow organising to get them there. And as you know, Andrew, we've been working on that for some time to try and do, do exactly that. And the other way is to buy shares, and that might involve, so that involves our membership in terms of our membership fees, but it also involves fundraising, which we haven't really done. So people need to think... If you don't want to be in this position, can we fix this right now? Can the trust do that? No. Can anybody do it? No. The board's the only people who can fix this now. Can we call on the board? Can we publicly protest against the board? Can we, can we make our views known to the board? Yes, we can do all of that, but we can't fix it. Can we make sure we're not in this situation again? Yes, we all can if we unite together to do that. That can only happen with unity. That can only happen with all those small shareholders because they're not all disconnected. Lots of people know where their shares are. They just never vote them. They just never, yeah. ever vote their shares. So if you know where your shares are and you're still getting emails for the club, get in touch with us. Be ready to, 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 to get together in some kind of discussion which we can organise about how we're going to vote, how we're going to, you know, one of the best things we could do, for instance, at the next AGM, if we had a really solid block of votes to ask for a real shake-up of that board in terms of the, the, the non-executive directors and the amount of time they've been in there and really call them to account, we could do that. We could do that by November, but we can't do it on our own. It has to be the unity of the fans. So if the only thing that comes out of this, if you're really angry, you know, don't get mad, get even. Get us together you know, because the project to the trust is exactly and always has been to, to, to stop this sort of thing happening and to give fans a proper voice and an avenue for raising concerns. And we don't want to have one at the minute, which is why everybody, what are you left with? You know, you can go into social media and, you know, go on and on and on about it. And I understand why people do it and I've done it myself, but, but they don't care about that. They don't care. But they would care if we got up to 5% of the vote, 20% of the vote, 20, you know, you know if, the, if we started to build that up, they would care about that. Anything to add to that, David? No, that's, that's all true. Uh, time to step up, I think. 
if you have shares, get active. If you think you've your get shares, uh, find them and get them registered in the correct name and address and vote them and get active. Uh, we've done it before, getting active I'm talking about, and it can be done again. Uh, you know, it's shareholders that own the club and uh, you just got to get, get active and start supporting the trust. <laughs> I mean, to, I mean, to be honest, we're a, obviously we're a membership organisation. We think the best way to do this is to join the trust. But see if you don't want to join the trust, but you do want to be able to combine with other shareholders. We're still the mechanism to organise that. So, so if you're in touch with us and we have your contact details, even if you're not a member, it can be the case that when it comes to votes at AGMs, we can contact you and say, here is what we're proposing to put forward. If you agree with that, either vote your shares in that way or proxy your shares to us for this AGM and allow us to cast them and, and, and use them. And then you don't, you know, you, obviously we want you to be a member. We think being a member is the best way to do it. But if you don't want to be a member, you can still be part of some kind of combined shareholder action. You can still do that. And we're the mechanism, we can provide the mechanism for that to happen. And all you have to do is email us, trust at celtictrust.net, tell us your details and, and allow us to contact you. You know, even if it's only once a year, allow us to contact you. Give us your email address and say, yes, you can contact me. And at that point, you'll get an email for us saying, this is what we're going to do. Do you want to combine with us? If you don't want to do that, then don't. You're, you're not obligated to do that. But if you say, I know this is the way forward, then you either vote your shares that way or you proxy your vote to us for that single meeting. And then, you know, then we, we cast them. You have to think about how this can be done and it simply cannot be done any other way as long as Celtic is owned by a PLC. This is the only way to do it. There is no other way. Now, folks, you've heard it there. Thanks, Jeanette. Thanks, David. Don't forget, folks, it can be done. And share, you don't have to be a big shareholder. If you've got small shares, contact the trust. Jeanette's giving out the details and I'll put them in the in the on the YouTube and the podcast description. And you can also, if you don't have shares, you can also join the trust for a fiver a month, which, which is the price of a point. So, and you, we can't, you can't complain then because you'll have a say. Well, one, you can't one, member, have a say. one member, one vote. Yes, Remember that. Democracy in the trust. Yeah. Folks, thanks very much for thanks coming for on again. Andrew. Right. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.